MSW Media. This episode is sponsored by Lumi, a doctor-developed, skin-safe, and pH-balanced deodorant. New customers can get $5 off a Lumi starter pack when going to lumideodorant.com and using the code DAILYBEANS. And for a limited time, returning customers can get $5 off their next purchase of $30 or more, too. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, November 16th, 2023. Today, Nevada has opened an investigation into that state's fraudulent electors. Ruby Freeman and Shay Moss are seeking 15 to $43 million from Rudy Giuliani in their defamation suit against him. Misty Hampton's lawyer admits he was the person who leaked the Fulton County DA proffer videos to the press. DA Fonnie Willis has filed a motion to revoke Harrison Floyd's bail. Hunter Biden has asked a judge to subpoena Donald Trump and ex-DOJ officials in his criminal gun charge case. Trump has filed a mistrial motion in the New York Attorney General's civil fraud case. Univision changes its position on Trump. The State Bar of Arizona finds probable cause in their investigation of Kerry Lake's lawyer. And Trump's Truth Social lost $32 million since its launch. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana. Happy Thursday. How are you? I'm good. A little shocked by your last statement. Devin Nunes doesn't know how to run a multi-million dollar company. What do you mean? What do you mean? What? I'm sort of shocked. He he doesn't have his cow, his fake cow money yet. <laughs> I know. My God. I'm good, though. It's almost the end of the week. We had a rainy day here in Los Angeles, and I believe you got some in San Diego. And I don't know. There was something cozy about the gray today, but I'll look forward to the sunshine coming back. I'm a sunshine kind of girl. Yep, same. And we also had some thunderbolts and lightning. Very, very frightening. Very, very frightening. Cat. Um, which we don't. We don't get a lot of thunderstorms here in uh, down in the Southern California area. So that was kind of interesting to to hear to hear that after like living in Florida for a couple of years, where thunder is just like it's Tuesday. Yeah, um, it's pretty rare. Uh, if I'm sound like I'm losing my voice, it's because I am. I I don't know if I'm getting sick or I've just been you know screaming at the top of my lungs because of the insanity in Congress. I don't. I'm not sure what it is, but um, I I do apologize for the uh, condition of my voice today. In case it's a little too Kathleen Turner for you, um, <laughs> we do have a, a few quick hits. But before that, I I wanted to say later in the show I'm going to be talking to the author of this incredible book that's out now called Invisible Generals. And it's by Doug Melville. And we'll be talking with Mr. Melville later in the show. All right, let's get to those quick hits. And to make a long story short, first up from NBC, former President Donald Trump's lawyers on Wednesday filed a motion for a mistrial in the $250 million New York civil fraud case, claiming that Judge Arthur Angoron and his principal law clerk demonstrated bias. In the filing, Trump attorneys named the clerk and even included pictures of her while alleging she demonstrated political bias pointing to what they described as political donations that exceed permitted limits. I don't think this is going anywhere, but he has filed that mistrial motion. He's got to do everything he can. Let's see what sticks. All right. Former Georgia election workers Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss will seek between $15.5 million and $43 million from Rudy Giuliani, who definitely doesn't have it, at a defamation trial set to begin December 11th in D.C. federal court. A federal judge has already found Giuliani liable 
for defamatory, defamatory, that's not the right way you say that. Don't even edit that out. Defamatory (laughs) comments. You're welcome, everyone. He made about the pair in the wake of the 2020 election. Yep. And Pete and I will go over that filing in detail on the next cleanup on aisle 45. And, you know, I had said, I think it's going to be tens of millions of dollars. And here we are, 15 to 43 million. We'll see what happens. Also in Georgia, Misty Hampton's lawyer named Jonathan Miller admitted in court today that he was the one who leaked those proffer videos of Sidney Powell, Scott Hall, Ken Chesbro and Jenna Ellis to the press. Uh, He probably won't face any punishment of this because there was no protective order on discovery at the time. But the judge, Judge McAfee, has said he will now enter a protective order. We'll get the terms of that tomorrow and we'll report them to you as soon as we have them. And D.A. Fonnie Willis has filed a motion to revoke Harrison Floyd's bond. Now, Floyd is one of the Fulton County defendants that intimidated Ruby Freeman in that particular conspiracy of the hub and spoke conspiracy of the racketeering charge. Now, Fonnie Willis says he's intimidating witnesses on social media and should be jailed pending trial, which makes me wonder why a similar motion has not been filed for Donald Trump, because he is definitely intimidating witnesses, too. Uh, I don't know if this is a shot across the bow. Maybe Fonnie Willis knows that judges will go easier on Donald Trump because he is running for president. Possibly. Um, I, I'm not sure. Uh, but um, I think this is the right move. But I also think it's going to trigger a lot of folks talking about why Donald Trump isn't facing the same consequences. I would agree. But you know what? Let's keep talking about that. That's fine with me as long as there is people that are, scared, you know, they want, they want to see it happen. All right. This is from Politico. Another quick hit. The Attorney General of Nevada is quietly investigating Republican activists and operatives who falsely pledged the state's six electoral votes to Donald Trump in 2020, despite Joe Biden absolutely winning that election. Uh, in recent weeks, investigators have questioned witnesses about the attempts of the so-called alternate electors to present themselves as viable representatives of state's voters. That's according to three people familiar with the probe. Now, investigators have also asked about documents those people prepared as part of the effort. All right. So we have at Michigan now. They've already indicted their fraudulent electors. We know Arizona's looking into theirs. Now we've got Nevada. And Colorado's trying to keep them off the ballot for the insurrection. I mean, good yep. things. The states are trying to do everything they can to actually follow the Constitution. Yeah. And of course, we've got Fulton County. <laughs> yep. Um, with all of their fraudulent electors. I think eight of which actually have uh, flipped and are cooperating. All right. We have a lot of news to get to. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up from The Washington Post. When Donald Trump ran for reelection in 2020, his campaign called Univision, the nation's most influential Spanish language network, quote, a leftist propaganda machine and a mouthpiece of the Democrat Party. Quote, we shall treat them accordingly, top Trump advisors promised. Three years later, Trump is treating Univision and its new corporate owners like long lost buddies. He hosted a trio of its executives at Mar-a-Lago last week during an hour long Univision interview that was notable for its gracious tone, starting with a question about how well he's doing among Latino voters in early general election polling. Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, a friend of one of the executives, helped arrange the interview and was also in the room, according to people familiar. Quote, all you have to do is look at the owners of Univision. They're unbelievable entrepreneurial people and they like me. That's what Trump said in a response to the question about Latino voters. The reversal has shocked Democrats who are preparing a massive ad campaign to brand Trump as a hostile, you know, a hostile president to Latino interests. And some journalists inside Univision 
who think that the past week has demonstrated the heavy hand of their new corporate bosses. They're also shocked. The Mexican media company Grupo Televisa, which has long fostered a close relationship with Mexican political leaders, merged with Univision in 2021. The Democratic alarm further spiked two days later when Univision advertising representatives told the Biden campaign that spots already purchased to run during the Trump interview in Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania and Florida are being canceled. Wow. Owing to a heretofore unannounced policy about opposition advertising in single candidate interviews. Hmm. Univision also canceled a booking with Biden's Hispanic media director, Maka Casado to respond to the Trump interview after it was aired on the network's latest news broadcast. So that got canceled. And that's according to people familiar with the details who, like others, spoke on the condition of anonymity. Quote, the new ownership is essentially co-opting and kidnapping the soul and mission of what Univision has been up to now. And they're serving it up on a silver platter to Donald Trump. That's Maria Cordona, a political consultant and member of the Democratic National Committee. Quote, it is going to mask the pernicious and dangerous politics that Donald Trump is going to implement if he becomes president again. Now, Semaphore first reported the presence of the three executives at the November 7th interview. Televisa Univision CEO Wade Davis, as well as Televisa Univision Mexico co-CEOs Alfonso Noriega and Bernardo Gomez Martinez. Puck first reported the cancellation of ads and then a Biden official response to Trump's interview. The Biden and Trump campaigns have declined to comment. People familiar with the situation inside Univision describe alarm and discomfort in the newsroom last week about corporate's role in setting up the Trump interview, the selection of the interviewer, and the decision to shut out Biden's response. I mean, this is terrifying. So we're going to keep you abreast, if you will, on this story, because there's just so much happening right now. The coordination to try and get votes away from Biden. And this is just it's all sketchy. It's all sketchy. Yeah. Kushner's buddy is the new CEO. And like, yep. How did that come about? You know, we're going to find out. I bet we'll find out in the coming weeks. Something's going to come to light. All right. This is from NBC. Hunter Biden asked the judge presiding over his criminal gun charge case to subpoena the former president, Donald Trump, and top officials in his Justice Department, arguing that the investigation into him was the direct result of, and I quote, incessant, improper, and partisan pressure from Trump and his allies. The court filing Wednesday asked U.S. District Judge Mary Ellen Narika, who is a Trump nominee, by the way, to issue subpoenas to Trump former Attorney General Bill Barr, former Acting Deputy Attorney General Richard Donahue, and former Acting Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen. And this is a quote, Mr. Biden seeks specific information about three former DOJ officials and the former president that goes to the heart of his defense that this is possibly a vindictive or selective prosecution arising from an unrelenting pressure campaign beginning in the last administration in violation of Mr. Biden's Fifth Amendment rights under the Constitution. That's from the filing and well said. Hunter Biden, as we know, is the son of the president, was indicted in September on three counts tied to possession of a gun while using narcotics. Two of the counts accuse him of having completed a form indicating that he was not using illegal drugs when he bought a Colt Cobra revolver in October of 2018, and the third alleges he possessed a firearm while using a narcotic. Two of the counts carry a maximum prison sentence of 10 years, while the third has maximum of five years. While Hunter Biden's lawyers have maintained the charges are unfair because prosecutors agreed to a plea deal earlier this year that would have had a gun charge using the same facts dropped if he stayed out of trouble for a period of two years. 
Prosecutors had also agreed to recommend a sentence of probation in return for a guilty plea on a misdemeanor tax charge. Now, the deal was scuffled after Narika raised questions about some of the provisions in the agreements. The filing maintains the decision to bring harsher charges was political and was the underlying investigation itself. And I quote, in the lead up to the 2020 election, IRS case files show certain investigative decisions were made as a result of guidance provided by, among others, the Deputy Attorney General's office. This is from the filing directly. It also points to a passage from Barr's recent book where he said Trump called him in October of 2020 asking about the status of the probe into Joe Biden's son. Whoa. Yup. In the fucking book. Barr wrote that he responded, damn it, Mr. President, I'm not going to talk to you about Hunter Biden, period. Somehow I'm not thinking that's the way the fucking call went, by the way, Allison. Yeah, the proposed subpoenas would call for the four to turn over all documents and records, personal or official platforms reflecting communications during the Trump administration relating to a discussion, any formal or informal investigation or prosecution of Hunter Biden, including, but not limited to, any decision, referral, or request to investigate or not investigate or charge or not charge Hunter Biden. Basically, anything that fucking has to do with Hunter Biden. <laughs> yeah, and you remember when Kamala Harris was uh, questioning Bill Barr, and he's and she was like, "Has anyone told you to investigate anyone? Has the president told you to investigate anyone?" And he's or suggested or that, Suge- and he's like, "Yeah, I'm struggling with the word suggested." That I'm grappling. Was, yeah, that was after he put David Weiss in charge of investigating Hunter Biden. He is such, he's such a, oh, he's so, anyway, I'm so glad he's nowhere near the Department of Justice, but he did so much fucking damage. Mm. Uh, Yep, last in this story, Hunter Biden pleaded not guilty to gun charges in October. Now, Weiss has indicated in court filings that he plans on bringing tax charges against him as well. Yeah, good luck, fucker. Yeah. All right, next up from Rachel Alexander at the Tennessee Star. The State Bar of Arizona is pursuing charges against Carrie Lake's attorney, Brian Blem, Blem not merely investigating complaints filed by others. So they're bringing charges. The Arizona bar told him it already found probable cause to continue its proceedings against him, which means it will likely result in disbarment. The charges accuse Blem of violating five ethical rules frequently used as catch-all rules to disbar attorneys. Carrie Lake told the Arizona Sun-Times, I'll represent myself before I drop this case. (laughs) (laughs) Bad idea. Okay, go for it, babe. Uh, Attorney Kurt Olson and Brian are heroes, she says. Okay. The Arizona bar asked Blem to respond to... I can't get over the name Blem. I know. To respond to alleged violations of five rules of the Arizona Supreme Court, which include Arizona bar's ethical rules. Here they are. Rule 41B3, to maintain the respect due to courts of justice and judicial officers. He failed that. Uh, 41B7, to avoid engaging in unprofessional conduct and to advance... No fact prejudicial to the honor or reputation of a party or a witness unless required by the duties to a client or the tribunal. Um, ER 8.2A, a lawyer shall not make a statement that a lawyer knows to be false or with reckless disregard as to its truth or falsity concerning the qualifications or integrity of a judge, adjudicatory officer or public legal officer, or of a candidate for election or appointment to judicial or legal office. And ER 8.4, you can't engage in conduct involving dishonesty, fraud, deceit, or misrepresentation. Okay. And uh, 8.4D, you can't engage in conduct that's prejudicial to the administration of justice. You suck. Just you suck. 
Yeah, five strikes. I don't know what that means, but I'm pretty sure he's out. So we'll see what happens in that (laughs) case. That's how baseball works, right? All right. This is from Reuters. Um, Former U.S. president. God, I'm so tired of hearing his fucking name. But Donald Trump's social media platform. This is a good, happy story. They have lost $31.6 million from its launch in early 2022 to mid-2023. That's quite the loss in a year. A securities filing by Digital World Acquisition Corp., as we know, we call them the DWACO, uh, the SPAC that plans to merge with the company. They showed that on Monday. Well, Trump had announced the launch of his social media app in October of 2021, saying it would stand up to big tech companies such as Twitter and Facebook that previously barred him. Uh, yeah. In 2022's Truth Social posted a profit of $50.5 million with net sales of just $1.4 million. It lost $23 million in the first half of this year, with net sales up $2.3 million. And according to the court filing, Trump Media and Technology Group's independent registered public accounting firm has indicated that the financial condition raises substantial doubt as to its ability to continue as a growing concern. So they're not have any faith in this at this point. And I quote, TMTG believes that it may be difficult to raise additional funds through traditional financial sources, meaning legal, in the absence of the material progress toward completing its merger with Digital World, end quote. The company also eliminated several positions in March. The filing said that, and too bad it wasn't the Devin Nunes' position, adding that the action followed a review of all departments, most significantly impacting TMTG's streaming video and demand and its infrastructure teams. So hmm. I would love to see this fucking company go under, that's for sure. But even though, you know, Trump's back on X, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, Truth Social thinks it might be difficult to raise funds through traditional sources. So <laughs> don't forget, federal prosecutors in New York, they are examining their criminally investigating the whether true social <laughs> violated money laundering statutes in connections with acceptance from of eight million dollars from suspected russian people so yeah that's that's not a, yeah i guess that's one way to untraditionally raise money is through your pals at russia <laughs> we'll let you know how that criminal investigation shakes out all right we'll be right back with the author of the incredible new book invisible generals that's available now the author is Doug Melville. So stick around. We'll be right back after this quick break. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. You can experience the next level of freshness with Lumi deodorant. It's an all over body solution developed by an OBGYN. Lumi stands apart with its clinically proven pH optimized formula that tackles odor before it even starts. It helps keep your odor under control no matter what you're up to. Safe and effective for underarms, under boobs, even below the belt, Lumi ensures unmatched freshness wherever it's applied. Lumi didn't invent deodorant, they perfected it. I didn't know what to expect when I first started using Lumi. I was so pleasantly surprised. Now I use it over my entire body. It works incredibly. Even after my long runs or gym sessions, I still feel fresh. I cannot recommend Lumi enough. Now Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, and free shipping. And new customers can get $5 off the Lumi Starter Pack with code DAILYBEANS at LumiDeodorant.com. And for a limited time, returning customers can get $5 off their next $30 purchase, too. That's LumiDeodorant.com, L-U-M-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com with code DAILYBEANS for new customers to get $5 off a Lumi Starter Pack and returning customers to get $5 off a $30 purchase. 
Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I am honored to be joined today. I don't get a lot of time to to read a lot of books for pleasure. It's mostly all like, you know, politics. However, this book came across my desk and it's absolutely incredible. It's called Invisible Generals, Rediscovering Family Legacy and a Quest to Honor America's First Black Generals. The author is with me today, Doug Melville. Welcome, Doug. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here today. I almost welcomed you. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I like to be welcomed too, and it doesn't happen too often. What an amazing book and an incredible story that I would have that I would have never known about had you not written this book. And there's a reason why a lot of this stuff has been kind of oh overlooked a little bit. Talk about what prompted you uh, to start researching these generals and and write this book. So uh, in 2011, I was invited to a screening of the movie Red Tails. And when the movie uh, Red Tails was really the commercial introduction of the Tuskegee Airmen, I mean, people heard of the Black Fighter Pilots and Military of World War II, but Red Tails took it to another level. So I'm at the screening, and the one of the main characters in the movie was Terrence Howard. And he was the commander of the Tuskegee Airmen. So knowing that Benjamin O. Davis Jr., he was the patriarch and center of our family, and knowing he was the commander of the Tuskegee Airmen, while I didn't know all the other airmen's name, I knew his name. And I knew the character looked just like him, and the casting was right on point, so I knew who it was. And then when he was introduced, he was introduced as Colonel Bullard. So at that time, I'm looking around the theater asking, you know, am I missing something? Is is what what is happening? I'm not really sure I'm understanding. I'm looking around the theater and then I go and I realize that maybe nobody else in this theater knows that the names in this movie are not real. So I start asking people who worked on the film at the after party and they go, Doug, this is Hollywood. These are not documentaries. These are amalgamations. These are composites. And I was furious that this movie was made and the real names weren't used. I went home and I talked to my dad and my dad said, Doug, if you think moving names is bad, wait till I tell you the real story of the family. And that's the story of the Invisible Generals. And I'll tell you what we really went through. And then you'll realize that changing the names is really no big deal to me at all. And when he told me that story, that was when I said, I have to write this story because no one's going to be as passionate about it as I am. So true. Talk about your connection, your personal connection with this story. Yeah. So the Invisible Generals is the story of America's first two black generals, a father and a son. At the start of World War II, they were the only two black officers out of 335,000 people in the whole military. So the son in the story, Benjamin Davis Jr., did not have biological children of his own. His wife was unable to bear children. And I talk about that in the book. But he wanted to raise a son to have the same relationship that his dad had with him. So my dad who Judge L. Scott Melville was his oldest nephew. And at seven years old, Benjamin Davis Jr. and his wife, Agatha, went up to Connecticut and got my dad and said, we are going to raise you as you are our son. So my dad goes down to Tuskegee. And many times when Ben was off at war, 
he was with Agatha. So we were raised that Ben was the center of our family. He paid for my first car, my first set of golf clubs. He paid for my first Apple II computer. He was paid for my college. He was everything in our family. So when he was omitted from the movie, it was a little bit more personal to me than it would have been to someone else. And what is the real story like? What are some of the main elements of the real story that that led your family to say it's not necessarily that the, the names change? Check this out. What are some of the elements of that story that, that really motivated you to tell the story? Yeah, well, just finding out um, one of the things that really inspired me through the research process was the fact that they worked with eight different presidents of the United States of America. And we don't really talk about these things, um, but very close access to the presidents and the White House. That was very interesting to me. Their military careers had been very well documented, so that wasn't hard to find information on. There's a lot of information on their military careers. But what I looked at was areas of disappointment, not getting the fourth star, Ben Jr., in 1967, um, when LBJ had told him that he was going to elevate him to four stars, and then ultimately it didn't happen. And this was due to him saying that he put Thurgood Marshall on the Supreme Court and passed Martin Luther King's agenda, so he couldn't get anything else out of helping Blacks. Like he reached his limit or, or yeah, something? Yeah, well, well, the presidents did everything very politically. I think one of the biggest surprises that I found was that most of their promotions, most of their awards, and most of their awareness was done in presidential election years to help win the Black vote. So when the presidents couldn't really use them anymore, or there really wasn't an opportunity for them to ensure more voting power, their opportunities were limited as far as the voting power went. So that was really a big learning for me. Um, but. More importantly, after the military, Ben Davis Jr. worked for the Department of Transportation, where he led the creation of airport security. So commercial airport security that we now know as the TSA. He led the creation of the United States Federal Air Marshal Program to keep the skies safe because there was a lot of hijackings in the early 70s in the late 60s so he wanted to make sure they were safe and then he was so successful at that he led the creation of the federally mandated 55 mile an hour speed limit under president carter so when i started learning these things i'm sitting here going how could no one have you know i mean we talk martin luther king we talk different figures but how could we be using these things every day we all know tsa air marshal passenger 57 the speed limit no one talks about it. No, and it, and it, it's across the board, too. I mean, so many things I learned from these kinds of books, these kinds of, you know, when I saw Hidden Figures, finally learning about that, then I had to go do, you know, some of my own research to find out actually what all else, you know, uh, these women accomplished. It's all hidden from, from view. I think that lends to kind of where we are uh, as a nation right now. How have you found these threads carrying through to today? Well, I think for today, um, one of the areas that I found is I left my existing career at the time. I was doing more marketing and I was more of a executive as it relates to president. 
but I left to become a head of diversity and work with companies to ensure that those that may have been historically invisible are now visible. So I think the leadership skills of veterans are very underutilized and underdiscussed. I think that we don't we expect veterans to be running around in fatigues. You know, I, I don't you know, when you say veteran, people in their mind have a picture of it. But veterans are everywhere. You know, I meet veterans in their 20s that have done their, you know, tour of duty. You know, Coach K of Duke is a West Point grad. I mean, there's so many of them. But what we need to look at is their leadership style, giving more opportunities that they had earned for them to take their skills from the public sector to the private sector. But my learning was we as a country are not giving an equal amount of resource to veterans needs realities, challenges, opportunities. It's looked at almost more as a favor to them versus <laughs> an obligation and a necessity and really what should be a commitment overall. Yeah. Can, can confirm. <laughs> <My friend>. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> can confirm. Something that really surprised me among all the things that you mentioned that uh, Ben Jr. did uh, that, that actually is very important in today's global geopolitical landscape is that he drew the line, the oceanic line that separates mainland China and Taiwan. That is something that is being globally monitored and looked at right now, particularly with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, what's going on with Israel and Hamas. Uh, we have strike groups out there uh, in that area, in that region right now. But that the funding for our allies that has to include Indochina, Indo-Pacific, and Ben Jr. drew that line. Yeah, you know, I actually didn't find that out until um, some friends of mine and the media in China, uh, actually in Taiwan, I got a Google alert and then I did some digging. But in Taiwan, uh, currently right now, when they talk about that line that separates mainland China from Taiwan, they refer to it as the Davis line. And what happened was, when Taiwan went to separate under Shanghai Shang and went to a separate island during their period of revolution where Shanghai Shang went to Taiwan and brought his position there, his purpose of going there was to attract the United States so they would turn it into a commercial hub. That was his plan. And it was criticized and, you know, there's all kinds of backstories to it, but ultimately that was what he was doing. The United States sent Ben Davis Jr. over there as the highest ranking American to work with him to help stabilize the region. And what he did was the first thing he said was we need to build an oceanic line in the water so we know where the territories end and begin. And he went back to the United States and into the UN, and that line still stands today, the Davis line. But over here in America, we just call it the oceanic line that separates Taiwan from China. <laughs> but in Taiwan, they do refer to it as the Davis line. Absolutely incredible. Well, I'm so very happy uh, that you have dug in, told this story with the, with the real names to honor these men uh, and your family. And uh, the book is out now. 
Uh, you can get it wherever books are sold. It's called Invisible Generals, Rediscovering Family Legacy and a Quest to Honor America's First Black Generals. Doug Melville, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Can you tell everybody where they can find and follow you for more information and potentially upcoming uh, new books? Yeah. So you can find and follow me at uh, DougMelville.com or at Doug Melville is my handle. And uh, I'm always here. The book is available at anywhere that you love, independent bookstores, national bookstore outlets, online outlets, wherever you find and shop for your literary thoughts and dreams. Thank you so much. It's really an incredible book. I learned so much. I appreciate your time today. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news, good news. And if you have good news, confessions, corrections, frog orgies, charismatic megaplastic stories, uh, if you want to let us know what episode you'd like to hear on the refried beans this weekend from this week, one, two or three years ago, you can send that to us. Shout out to a loved one. Shout out to an adoptable pet in your area. Shout out to a small business in your area or your small business. You have a whoopee story. I love those or a blankie story, stuffed animal story, that kind of thing. Send that to us. Uh, pictures of your happy place, holiday photos, whatever you want to send to us, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. All right. First up from Maddox, pronouns they and them. Hello. I really love all the podcasts. I find them really informative, reassuring and fun. I'm especially fond of the Jack podcast and the Daily Beans for its good news. In the list of things you accept for good news, it said you could send stuff you make. So I thought I would share something I made. I recently finished painting this ukulele for my uncle for the upcoming holidays. It features portraits of his cat. A.G. Maddox, I hope you're listening. These are stunning. This is incredible. I absolutely love these. Or this. I think it's a front and a back. Yeah, that's incredible. I hope you have some sort of a business doing this because I think you could sell them all over the place. Right? So, so good. Thank you for sharing with us. If you do have a business, by the way, you should share that with us, too, because we're happy to blast it out. All right. That was a short one. I'm going to take this next short one from Anonymous. No pronouns given. I loved hearing both of you recount the championship game. I forgot to watch. Shame. But thanks for the ecstatic recounting. So is it Schmirnoff Ices or Schmirnoff's Ice? Schmirnoff huh. Ices. Yeah, I think it's Ices in this particular in this particular case. What we can come up with a better collective noun. I like mean, a, for like sure. A, like a mac and tea of Schmirnoff ice. It's <laughs> <laughs> the collective noun for that. There you go. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I don't know. All I know is I got really drunk uh, one summer in Scotland when I was doing the Fringe Festival on uh, Schmirnoff Black. Was that what this called? Like it was the black ice. Anyway, it was it was a great summer, but also I don't remember a lot of it. All right. This is from Jocelyn. Uh, pronouns she and her. I live in Detroit. And one of the things that many people don't consider about failing cities is the toll on animals here. Enter Rebel Dogs Detroit, a true no kill rescue. These amazing people have taken in dogs moments from death and no other shelter would even consider that. They do amazing work for the dogs and humans of this city with next to no resources. 
They even help support residents who want to keep their own dogs but can't afford to, providing them with food and helping with medical expenses. Mm. I know. I just wanted to give this nonprofit a shout out to others who might appreciate the amazing work they do every day. You can see the doggos they help or even donate to this great cause online at Rebel with one L, rebeldogsdetroit.com, or on Instagram at rebeldogsdetroit. For Pod Pet Tax, I'm also including a picture of my own rescue. This is Otto, and Otto is <laughs> beautiful. He's a, he's got he's got a golden retriever face. It looks like a Rottweiler coloring. coloring. Yeah. yeah. It's a beautiful dog. I, I'm interested to know if you've done a DNA test, Jocelyn, or if you know, um, but he looks like a golden retriever with Roddy points it's amazing it's adorable all right next up from d dieter pronoun sh- or she and her hello daily beans please accept as pod pet tax her royal majesty theodora elizabeth alexandra mary laura jewel the fearless la bellissima la reina de los gatos order of magdalene <laughs> emotional support <laughs> animal she's 18 years old and the most beautiful tabby cat In this photo, she's recharging her solar batteries in her apartment where my husband and I live with a roommate and my ESA cats after 19 months of homelessness. Long story. Thea is the monarch over Colleen, 15, Oreo, 13, Howard, 12, and Jumoki, 10. Thanks for all the good work y'all are doing. Kindest regards from Florida, where I hope we will deal harshly with the likes of DeSantis, Rubio, and Scott for what they've done to our state. I hope so, too. And take a look at Her Royal Majesty Theodora Elizabeth Alexandra Mar- <laughs> Mary Laura Jewel, the fearless La Bellissima Lorena de los Gatos, Order of Magdalene. <laughs> Exceptional support animal, indeed. All right, this is from Kay and her amazing partner, Victor, pronounce he and him. Hi, AG and Dana. I just wanted to take a minute this Veterans Day to thank AG for her service. I second that. And to thank you both for what you do. I really appreciate all you do, educating us, standing up for us, and your empathy, intelligence, and wit as you inform us about the daily disasters and heroic accomplishments that affect our lives and our great country. Thank you. I don't have a fuzzy friend to share, but here's a photo of a craft project I made. I hope it makes you smile. It's called Birds and Balloons. Oh, I love it. Me too. I really love that last one. Like a little three-piecer. I know, it's great. Triptych. Balloons, birds, and then the birds and the balloons are hearts. It's beautiful. All right, thank you for that. I love that submission so much, Kay. All right, next up from Tom C., pronouns he and him. Hello, lovely ladies of the beans. Here's a shit kids say. My sister is a retired second grade teacher. Oh, that has to be like just a font of shit kids say. Oh, you know? Yeah. Now she spends much of her time watching her six grandkids. While watching them, she often puts on the old teacher hat. Recently, she was reading her five-year-old granddaughter about animals, and the word mammal came up. When her granddaughter didn't know what that was, she told her it's an animal with fur or hair. So my grandniece started rattling off animals that fit that bill. Then my sister said, well, you know that humans are also mammals. And the little one got that quizzical look on her face and says, I don't think uncle is a mammal. He has no hair. (laughs) For pod pet text, I have a what the hell is that in that shell? And it's in the vein of Schitt's Creek. Don't worry. That's his sister. The only turtles I know are box turtles. And I'm going to say it every time until I get one right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. It's a box turtle. We'll go with you. We'll go with box turtle. Let's see what we've got. Eastern box turtle. That's a goddamn box turtle. 
I mean, it's an Eastern. I don't know if there's Western box turtles, but that one, I bet, has an attitude because it's from the Eastern. It's an Eastern box turtle. You don't know the difference between Eastern and Western box turtles? I know. (laughs) I'm sorry. That is a fucking hilarious story. What about uncle? Okay. I have, you're not going to believe this. Okay. My little sister one night fell asleep with gum in her mouth and it ended up in her hair. And my, you know, we had to cut the gum out of her hair. So she sure. had to get a, a really short haircut because it was all over the place. And so, you know, my mom said, well, now, you know, if you sleep, go to sleep with gum in your mouth, you're going to wake up bald. And the next time we were at my oh, aunt and no. uncle's house, <laughs> my sister asked my uncle, did you chew gum in bed? <laughs> oh, my God. So good. Uh, did you she, fall asleep with gum in your hair, Uncle Jim? <laughs> in your mouth, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. We laughed so hard. He was like, what are you talking about? We're like, we'll tell you later. We'll tell you later. I'll tell you later, Uncle Jim. All right. This one's from Caitlin, pronounced she and her. Hey, Beans Queens. I wanted to give a shout out to my good friend, Michael, and his husband, BJ. Earlier this year, they founded an organization called Pride of Cary, an LGBTQ plus advocacy group in Cary, North Carolina. On November 18th, they'll be hosting a blood drive with the Blood Connection. Michael and BJ are two of the most loving people I've ever met. If any listeners happen to be in the area, you can go to Pride of Carrie's Facebook page to find out the details. Thank you so much for all your work, Queens. Oh, thanks, Caitlin. I know. I want to know where Cary, North Carolina is in reference to like Raleigh and stuff. I need to look at a map. Yeah, I'm wondering too. Um, but or Charlotte, uh, right? Like, where yeah. is it in the state? Because that's amazing. What a what an, ama- an incredible gift! All right, I found out where it is. Carries between Durham and Raleigh, closer to Raleigh, and I don't see Charlotte on here. But that's because I need a bigger map. All right, good to know where it is. <laughs> We're gonna need a bigger map. We're gonna need a bigger. We're gonna need a bigger boat. Mm. Well, thanks to everybody for your incredible submissions. These are all really amazing. You are all amazing people. And um, I hope my <laughs> I hope my voice comes back a little tomorrow. It could be better. It could be worse. Who knows? That's what you get. <laughs> I think your voice sounds pretty good compared to how we've heard it in some, <laughs> some other episodes. So just stay healthy, would you? I'd appreciate it. Just stay healthy. Um, I'll work on that. Um, but thank you, everybody, for your submission. Send your stuff in, dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Any final thoughts before we get out of here, Dana? I do. I just want to announce another show. I need to get it on my website. But if you happen to be in the Tampa, Florida area, I'm going to be performing with two other lesbian comics. It's called Queer Queens of Comedy, and it is going to be the Tampa Improv. It's on Sunday, the 28th of January. It's a 4 p.m. show. So uh, it's it's a matinee, matinee. Yeah, matinee comedy because nothing's funnier than comedy in the light. Yeah. Um, so- I was just <laughs> telling a friend of mine the other day, like, <laughs> I like it when it goes back to standard time because that's me. All, that means it's dark during all the comedy shows. I know. It'd be really close. Anyway, it's going to be on my website soon. You'll be able to get tickets at danagoldberg.com. It's January 28th in Tampa, Florida. And then I will be announcing another show in Florida. I'm going to, I know people are shocked, but I'm going to be performing in Florida. Fort Lauderdale. That's going to be on my birthday, April 12th. Ooh. Tickets are going to be announced in the next month. You'll be able to get those on my website as well. And I would love if you'd come celebrate my birthday with me. So we're going to announce those shows again once I get them live on my website so you get 
get tickets, but my, mark your calendar. I know a lot of you are like, your shows are next month. I don't have enough time to plan. So I'm telling you right now, <laughs> January, January 28th in Tampa, April 12th in Fort Lauderdale. Wonderful. Awesome. All right, everybody. We'll be back in your ears tomorrow. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. Oh, and take care of your family. Yes, and take your family with you. All of them. All I've of them. I've been AG. And I've been DG. Nums <laughs> the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.